As we prepare to receive the sacrament this morning, I want to draw your attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Paul wrote 2 Corinthians from the Roman province of Macedonia. This is east of modern-day Italy in what is Greece today. He wrote to a group of very ordinary believers living in the prosperous, diverse, immoral, seaport city of Corinth in the Roman province of Achaia. Again, all this is modern-day Greece. New Testament scholar Gordon Fee says, Paul's Corinth was at once the New York, Los Angeles, and Las Vegas of the ancient world. And the church was in many ways a mirror of the city. The Christians in Corinth had lots of baggage, and there was a lot of drama. In Paul's letters to the Corinthians, he deals with very difficult issues, conflict, division, lawsuits, incest, prostitution, sex, marriage, and even getting drunk in the church during worship. One of the Apostle Paul's major projects was collecting a large donation to help poverty-stricken believers in Jerusalem. He is writing about that offering here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul is encouraging the Corinthians to use their riches to alleviate the poverty of others. How does Paul try to motivate these Christians to give? Grace. Five times in these nine verses, including the word favor in verse 4, if you're reading the ESV, he talks about God's grace. He talks about God's grace at work in the province of Macedonia, north of Corinth. And then he uses the Macedonians' poverty and wealth to point them to Christ, who is the ultimate example of generosity. Let's read the text. If you didn't bring your Bible, there's one in the pew, and it's page 967 in that pew Bible. This is the Word of God. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy... And their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Poverty and wealth. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor, the word in Greek is grace, of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this Not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then, by the will of God, to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you... See that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also 
is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, by His poverty, might become rich. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God endures forever. Trading places, a riches to rags to riches story. One of the great rags to riches stories in all literature is Charles Dickens' Little Dorrit. Little Dorrit is composed of two equal parts. Book the first is entitled Poverty. Book the second, Riches. It's ironic in this great novel of Dickens that not all the people who were poor literally are poor spiritually. And not all the people who are literally rich are spiritually rich. As somebody has said, not all that glitters is gold, and not all that is gold glitters. The main character in the book, Amy Dorrit, is dirt poor, but rich in hope and love and compassion. Some of the characters who are amazingly rich are spiritually bankrupt, isolated, debilitated by greed and guilt and regret. It's as if uh, they're typified by the words of Jesus Christ to the Laodiceans. You say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched and pitiable and poor and blind and naked. Poverty and riches... Those are big concepts. Am I poor or rich? How do I measure this? Am I well off? Am I living the good life? How do I know? Am I blessed? Loved? How much do I need? What motivates me? Greed or grace? Like the Corinthian Christians and the Londoners of Little Dorrit, we're an ordinary group of folks with our own share of baggage and drama, poverty and riches. We struggle with setbacks and suffering, doubts and fears, contentment and covetousness, greed and generosity. Many have tasted the riches of God's grace in His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, but we've also known the poverty of ungrace out there in the calculating, grudge-bearing, tit-for-tat-I'll-get-you-back world. But also in here, in our restless, selfish, prone-to-wander hearts, Some may wonder if God is even real after all they've experienced. Others wonder what in the world He's doing, if anything. It can get confusing, discouraging. We need reassurance and encouragement. Some need rebuke. Like the Corinthians, we have unresolved issues and unfinished business. 
We need to hear God's story of riches to rags to riches again and again and again, and even this morning. And we need to find ourselves in that story. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. Two parts to that verse, maybe three, depending on how you look at it. Paul has reminded them of the grace of God to the Macedonian Christians. He's told them that grace case. He shared that story with the Corinthians. And and then he's leveraging it with them saying, you know about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first part of the verse. You know about this grace, Corinthian believers. And then the second part, he basically just describes and explains the grace of Jesus Christ. That's what we want to do this morning. Just look at these couple of parts to this verse as, as we prepare ourselves to receive this great gift of grace in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and in the communion this morning. So the first part, Paul says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you'll look up to verse 1, you'll see the parallel where Paul is saying in verse 1, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God given among the churches of Macedonia. And in verse 9, uh, in, in parallel, he says, you know about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know this. Now, this, this idea of knowledge has to do with information and experience. You know uh, humdingers or lennies or mellow mushroom? Yeah, I know there. I've been there many times. It's not just a matter of knowing about the grace of God. Paul says, you guys have experienced this grace. Have you? Do you know the grace of Christ? Grace, I said, is a big theme here. It's mentioned about five times in this, in this section. Uh, grace is not only an attribute, but it's also an act. God's love in action. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He indeed was gracious in His character, but He was also gracious in the way, not only that He lived His life, but on the way that He laid it down. It's, it's love in action. And then Paul constantly solving problems among Christians by pointing to Jesus Christ. This isn't just, this isn't some amorphous grace. This is the grace of our Savior, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul always sought to solve problems by pointing to the person of Jesus Christ. And, and we're uh, wise if we heed that same advice. Now, the second part of verse 9, he explains this grace. He says, uh, we want you to know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that. That, that word is, now I'm going to tell you what I mean by this grace. And uh, he says here, he uses these terms, poverty and riches. And if, if we were reading it as Paul actually wrote it, the term poverty and riches are set side by side side by each for the Canadians out there, side by side two times in this verse. Poverty, riches, poverty, riches, right together. Uh, 
the idea of poverty and riches comes up from verse, I think it's verse 2, uh, where Paul talks about the poverty that the Macedonians had. Let me find it here. Uh, let's see. Their extreme poverty. Do you see that in verse 2? That word extreme is bathus. Rock bottom, deep, hard scrabble poverty. And out of that, this is a testimony of God's grace, flowed this abundance of wealth, uh, he says about the Macedonians. So he's tying in these terms poverty and riches to talk about the grace of Jesus Christ in order to motivate the Corinthian Christians. So the emphasis here in this verse 9 in the way that the words are, is that Christ became poor so that those who trust Him can become rich. Christ became poor so that we who trust Him can become rich. I think of a seesaw. You you remember seesaws from playgrounds? Okay, Christ was rich in eternal glory. And we were poor dead in trespasses and sins. And Christ became poor so that we could become rich. I used to speak at a camp in New Hampshire on a lake, and there was a giant blown-up inflatable thing called the blob, and you could climb up on a tower, and uh, you could jump off the tower onto one end of the blob, and then a person sitting out on the water side on the other end of it, when you jumped off and fell on that blob, you would catapult that person up into the air. That's what I'm thinking about as I think about the emphasis of this text, that Jesus Christ became poor so that I could become rich. When was Christ rich? Paul says, although he was rich, have you ever heard anybody joke about somebody being rich as God? Well, he was rich as God. He was God. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, that's the best commentary on this verse, the first part of Philippians chapter 2. He was in the form of God. He was equal with God. Jesus prays in John 17, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. He was rich. He became poor. How did he become poor? Philippians chapter 2, he emptied himself. He took the form of a servant. He was born in the likeness of men. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. The poverty that Christ experienced ultimately involved He who knew no sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21, becoming sin, so that we who were sinners could experience the righteousness of God. So this poverty, even this death on a cross... Jesus Christ, when He was on the cross, cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And here we see that He gave up this eternal, loving, all-sufficient intimacy of joy with His Father. Such was His poverty. No one was ever as rich as Christ, and no one was ever as poor as Christ. Why would he do this? 
Why did Christ exchange the riches of eternal love and glory for absolute poverty? In the verse, we see it twice. For your sake. You, yes, you. Jesus Christ exchanged His riches and glory for our poverty as sinners so that we could exchange our poverty as sinners for His riches in glory. Incredibly rich. Why did He do it? He did it for us. Can you picture in eternity the Father and the Son making this covenant to save His people? Where the Father may say, My Son, here is a company of poor, miserable souls that have utterly undone themselves and now lie open to My justice. Justice demands satisfaction for them or will satisfy itself in the eternal ruin of them. What shall be done for these souls? And thus Christ responds, O my Father, such is my love too and pity for them that rather than they shall perish eternally, I will be responsible for them as their surety. Bring in all thy bills that I may see what they owe thee. Lord, bring them all in that there may be no after reckonings with them. At my hand shalt thou require it. I will rather choose to suffer thy wrath than they should suffer it. Upon me, my Father, upon me be all their debt. But my son, if thou undertake for them, thou must reckon to pay the last might. Expect no abatements. If I spare them, I will not spare thee. Father, let it be so. Charge it all upon me. I am able to discharge it. And though it prove a kind of undoing to me, though it impoverish all my riches, empty all my treasures, yet I am content to undertake it. That's why He became poor for us. Little Dorrit, poverty and riches could be somewhat biographical. Charles Dickens, when he was 12 years old, saw his father arrested and imprisoned for debt. And the prison that he was put in occurs in this book. Additionally, at 12, Dickens was made to work in a factory pasting labels on bottles of boot polish. And he said the worst thing about it was that people could look in a window and see him doing such menial labor. When I read that, I remembered a time in my life when I was working a couple of part-time jobs to make ends meet while I sought full-time ministry. One of my jobs was driving Medicaid patients to dialysis clinics. One day, one afternoon, I was gassing up the van in a gas station when a friend of mine, who happened to be the wife of the headmaster of the Christian school that my kids were in, drove into the gas station, and she saw me and smiled sweetly and greeted me warmly, and I sat there burning with shame that all I'm doing is driving people around in a van. I also had a job in a plant nursery, and one day I was down on my knees pulling weeds out of a 
paved brick path, looking at the feet of people as they walk by me. And I thought to myself, here I am, I've got a master's degree in theology, and I'm down on my knees plucking weeds, and I, I felt ashamed, like Dickens did in that novel. But there were also deeper feelings, feelings of great gratitude and love to God who had become poor so that I could become rich. I remembered his mercy. I remembered the conviction of sin that I had experienced as God revealed his holiness to me. And this delight in serving a God who would die on a cross in my place for me, taking my punishment upon himself. Why would he do it? And it fills me with, I hope, joy that will motivate me to respond to him and lay down my life until I go to be with him. Friends, we're here this morning on the birthday of Grace of Ann, and that may cause you to have all kinds of pleasant memories about the grace of God shown to us through this church. But we're here this morning to, to remember this great gift of God in His Son, Jesus Christ. With His followers in the upper room, you'll remember this from John 13, after washing their feet and teaching them that lesson of humble service, he takes bread much like this and he breaks it and he says, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Friends, we have this opportunity to remember Christ to receive this bread and this cup. Let me say this morning that if you normally do this, if you're visiting with us and, and you partake of communion in your church, we are happy to have you partake of it here. But if you're unclear about the grace of God in Christ, if you're not sure if you know that grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, I would encourage you to receive Him first. And then worry about the bread and the cup later. Jesus Christ, on the night that he was betrayed, says, Do this in remembrance of me. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for this opportunity to remember you, to take this bread and this cup to remember this great gift of grace to us who were so poor that we could become so rich, Lord Jesus, because of your grace. We give you thanks now in Jesus' name. Amen.